And moving on here, I would like to get to your shoutouts. These are the supporters on buymeacoffee.com. And another reminder that if you contribute to the show, you will also get a shout-out on Zodiac Mondays. Our first one comes to us from Sobek Lord, who says, Happy birthday, Ned. Enjoy your pizza. Ah, uh, yes, this is one of the final birthday messages that I got, and that's back when it was called buymeapizza.com. Thank you so much, Sobek Lord. And we have one that is anonymous that says, Buy yourself some nice buttons. Well, not Zodiac buttons, though. I kind of like the fact that the Zodiac didn't get all the attention that he wanted. Maybe I'll buy buttons in the name of somebody else, but I appreciate your support. And we have one from Drew that says, Here's a coffee for the bonus coffee. And, I mean, we got the show and the bonus podcast on Instagram, so thank you, Drew, so much. And the next one is from Ray Grant that says, Ned, thanks again for all the free advertising that I get on your channel. Ray Grant is the author of Zodiac Killer Solved as well as the novel Zodiac Killer Dreams. And I actually spoke too soon when I was talking about the whole concept of time traveling and the Zodiac Killer case, because I didn't mean to get ahead of myself. I wanted to save that material for this part of the show, because that's really the subject of Zodiac Killer Dreams. If you ever get a chance to read the novel, a lot of it deals with the possibility of what if somebody could have been moving through time and even encountering some of the crimes that have been committed by the Zodiac Killer, and there's some very descriptive sections on the murder of Sherry Jo Bates in 1966 and the Lake Herman Road murders involving David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen. But um, Ray Grant has also sent something into the email address, blackboxonlineradio.com. Anybody can contact me there and share anything they like. But what he wanted to do was weigh in on the DNA. Do we have the Zodiac Killer's DNA? And this is one that has been somewhat debated. The general public might have the understanding that Yes, the authorities have the Zodiac Killer's DNA because, well, they went public in 2002 and they were on the show Primetime Live. ABC ran the story about how they have the Zodiac Killer's DNA and some suspects, such as Arthur Lee Allen, Shel Cavale, and Charles Clifton Curtis, were eliminated because of DNA. And with Allen, there's also the uh, side palm print, which is also called writer's palm handwriting, some other, some other reasons why he is viewed as eliminated by some. However, that definitely hasn't stopped people on the internet from talking about him, as well as um, Shel Cavale as well. But Ray Grant wanted to weigh in on the subject because the DNA was extracted not from anything that is in the internal component of the letter. It was taken from the stamp, which is on the outside of the letter. And Ray Grant is sharing this as someone who worked for the USPS for 37 years. And what you'll hear now is a segment that has been written by Ray Grant. I can give you some feedback on the SFPD back around the time of Primetime Live in, back in 2002 in the month of October. SFPD decided to go all out in June of 2000 and set up a three-person DNA extraction lab over all the Zodiac letters, which they were in possession of with the exception of the VTH cover letter, that must be the Vallejo Times-Herald, on July 31st of 1969. Yeah, that's referring to 
the uh, three letters that were mailed into the Vallejo Times Herald, the San Francisco Examiner, and of course the San Francisco Chronicle. In December of 2000, Sergeant Tom Connor of South Lake Tahoe PD contacted Inspector Kelly Carroll of SFPD. I had set up a NorCal Geophysics in Petaluma to do a GPR scan of the area, and across the street from 739 Clay Street in San Francisco, which was the only USGS benchmark on the south lake of the Mount Diablo Radian. That area turned out to be Portsmouth Square Park, and the only open ground that was undisturbed since 1970, as the vegetation to the left of the garage doors was there. My theory was that that was where Donna Lass was buried. Anyway, Kelly Carroll vetoed the scan, saying they didn't want to allow a circus to take place on the area. The, this was SFPD being asked a favor by another police agency, and SFPD refusing that favor. There wasn't going to be a circus, since if the scan turned up nothing, I obviously wasn't about to publicize it. So what F SFPD was actually saying was that they weren't interested in anyone solving the case other than SFPD. If someone came forward with a way to solve the case, the SFPD couldn't take credit for it, and they didn't want the case to be solved, period. As for Mike Rodelli, he pointed out that after more than two and a half years of looking for the Zodiac Killer's DNA in the letters, the SFPD lab came up with nothing. So they used some partial DNA that was found on the surface of a stamp and completely fabricated, and they completely fabricated a demonstration saying that the DNA should eliminate Alan, Cavale, and Curtis by a partial mismatch. As after the broadcast aired, I left a message on the answering machine of Sidney Holt suggesting that she compare the DNA she had with what was left stuck to the Sherry Joe Bates thumb in Riverside. I didn't realize at the time that the Riverside DNA was mitochondrial. All that got me was a nasty message from Kelly Carroll, which was on my old answering machine. So it seems that Ray Grant is of the camp that the uh, DNA is either not present or inaccurate in some ways. But he does continue by this. As for the San Francisco Police Department, or any other police agency having the Zodiac Killer's DNA, my opinion hasn't changed since posters on Zodiac Killer message boards began putting DNA forward as the way the case would eventually be solved, particularly since the Golden State Killer case was solved through forensic genealogy. The logic is, since one case was solved by DNA, therefore, every cold case can be solved by DNA. Number one. As far as I know, every cold case that has been solved by forensic genealogy was one where the crime scene contained a recognizable source of DNA, almost always semen, though blood may have been the source in some stabbings. There is no semen or obvious DNA at any of the Zodiac Killer crime scenes. The idea that law enforcement can go back and get touch DNA from a crime scene like Lake Herman Road or Blue Rock Springs Park after 50 years is just ridiculous, and even if there were Zodiac DNA still at those sites, how could you narrow down the time when it was left there in the specific time windows of the murders? And I do think that we have to provide a little bit of clarification about the Golden State Killer, Joseph D'Angelo. He was a home invader, and he would not only sexually assault some of the victims, 
not all, but some of them, he also would do things like drink beer out of the fridge, eating crackers on the back porch. They actually say that those were his two favorites, beer and crackers. He has the couple tied up in their house. Now he's going to sit on the back porch, drinking and eating, acting like he's now king of the castle. He has dethroned them. But what he didn't know at the time was, if he were to leave a beer can behind, or leave any type of um, garbage that um, had his mouth on it, that would leave DNA. And Paul Holes was very adamant that they had a DNA profile at all of the Golden State Killer crime scenes. Like, what he's been accused of and convicted of, there actually is DNA present. It's not just stringing together some elaborate theory. There is physical hard evidence to back this up. But you heard one point from Ray Grant here about how, with the Zodiac Killer, we don't have any of that stuff. I mean... No reports of the Zodiac really doing much with the victims at all, and absolutely, positively, no sexual assaults. Let's look at his second point. Number two, there are multiple problems involved with getting DNA from a Zodiac letter. I worked for the United States Postal Service for 37 years. The mail stream isn't pristine. Every letter that's mailed goes through a virtual wind tunnel of sweat, spit, trace blood, and probably even semen on it at some microscopic level. I ran stamp cancellation machines in the 1970s that press letters tightly and cancel the stamps at high speeds and heat under tremendous pressure. I remember emptying the giant canvas hampers on the work floor where the bottom of the hamper or the cart would have dirt and dust on it, and I'm sure skin cells of which could have been lodged under an envelope or maybe even on the stamps. Extracting DNA from a letter that goes through sorting the mail isn't the same as extracting DNA from a crime scene. I mean, yes, absolutely. This is why people have been so frustrated about the concept of obtaining touch DNA, especially from the outside of a stamp. I mean, postal workers could have been involved with this, things like mail carriers, or even as Ray Grant talked about working in a facility. Or how about this? What if somebody else had handled someone's mail. And the only thing that I could think of was that I was hoping that a forensic lab would have the understanding that if it had been pressed down, like if someone had pressed down hard on a stamp, a stamp to seal it, then there would have been a bigger concentration of touch DNA. But I don't know that. I mean, that's just what I was thinking. That's just wishful thinking on my part because I didn't want to think that they would just fudge the facts. But um, the next point here from Ray Grant is the letters have been available to law enforcement, particularly the San Francisco Police Department and the California Department of Justice for half a century. If there were fingerprints or DNA found, either by the original investigators or by Kelly Carroll's DNA lab, we would know about it by now. The SFPD spent money to hire three people to search the D in 2000 to 2002, and that tells us that they had to pay to have a DNA genealogy trace done with a very high priority, and we would know the results by now if they had something. Number three, a man named John Sipos murdered Mary Scott back in November of 1969. Police arrested him in October of 2020, and he was convicted earlier this year. 
The victim's sister suggested the police do a forensic genealogy search in the wake of the Golden State Killer identification. It took the police just a few months to narrow down and search the narrow down the search to Sipos, go through his garbage and find DNA on a bandage, and that they were able to link him to a 1969 crime, even though the murder took place in San Diego, and he lived in Pennsylvania. So the idea that the police have the Zodiac DNA, and we're just waiting for the results, seems ridiculous. If they had the Zodiac Killer's DNA, they'd have something definite by now. If, for example, they extracted a full profile and did a genealogical trace, and in the process of doing that hit a brick wall, for example, if a family member had fathered a child out of wedlock, and such child was effectively untraceable, the parents might not even know the child was illegitimate. You would literally be barking up the wrong family tree. That would be the same thing as not having the DNA, because you couldn't do anything with it. If the police had the Zodiac's DNA, we'd know by now, which means they don't. And those are the words of Ray Grant, as I said, author of Zodiac Killer Solved and Zodiac Killer Dreams. Much appreciated for those comments. But as you heard there, Ray Grant is of the stance that they don't have the DNA. However, another big proponent of this that was cited in that was Mike Rodelli, author of In the Shadow of Mount Diablo and the Hunt for Zodiac. In the Shadow of Mount Diablo is the print version, and the ebook alteration is called The Hunt for Zodiac. Mike Rodelli is a supporter of the theory that involves Shulkavali, the Norwegian American businessman. He was born in 1919 in Norway, spent his time in the city of Trondheim over there, came to the United States at the age of 10, and went on to become a very successful businessman working in the automotive industry, one of the biggest importers of cars in the United States, one of the few Zodiac suspects who is actually a millionaire. And I had the opportunity recently to talk to Mike Rodelli because I read off some of his comments about the DNA here on this channel, and I even did a full episode about it once called Do They Have the Zodiac Killer's DNA? And the long story short is, he is of the belief that quite similar to Ray Grant. They don't have the DNA. They did a special on Primetime Live that aired on ABC in 2002, and the crime lab didn't want to go empty-handed. But how exactly did they do this? Well, they had some traces of cells at some places on the envelope, and then they had the collection of cells on the stamp. But it's the outside of the stamp, and if they do not have the DNA underneath the flap of the envelope, there's a very high chance that it was never licked by human, with human saliva in the first place. Therefore, it's most likely that the Zodiac used a sponge in water to seal his stamps and envelopes, meaning that he didn't even leave saliva DNA on the thing in the first place. Now, you might be wondering, why on earth would he do that? It was 1968 or 69, 1970, really a letter that began in 69. So why would somebody seal the envelope with water? It could have just been done out of habit. It could have been that he didn't like the taste of glue. It could have been done because he, th he was trying to do something that was a little bit more affluent or prominent. As I said, Mike Rodelli's suspect, Shel Cavale, was a millionaire. 
there are lots of reasons why people have for saying that their suspect did not lick the stamps and the envelope, but the biggest point is that they don't have the Zodiac's DNA, and they simply misreported on it because they wanted to save face. The SFPD crime lab wanted to save face. But as I said most recently, I had the opportunity to talk to Mike Rodelli, and I had to have the chance to hear what he had to say and listen to some of his responses to my questions. And it dealt with not only the DNA from the letters in 1969, but also the letters that continued on into 1974, as well as into 1978. And even before he said this, I was pretty sure I knew where he was going, saying that Dave Tosky, that's right, the detective, Dave Tosky, is a suspect for writing the 1978 letter. And if we're going to talk about DNA, or how about other ways to identify someone's authorship of the letter, the uh, side palm print, maybe even fingerprints to a certain extent, why can't they figure out whether or not Dave Tosky wrote the 1978 letter? This is, um, he becomes un comes under suspicion because he was known to have written other letters fabricating things to boost his own publicity, and the 1978 Zodiac letter says very clearly, that city pig Tosky is good. And somebody in the comments section even pointed out that that most likely means that it was written by Dave Tosky because the Zodiac is only giving credit to himself, just saying, I am smart, I am brilliant, I am more cleverer than you. So um, there's a high chance that that was a forgery. And then there could be a link between the 1978 letter and one of the letters from 1974. Could they have been written by the same person? And could Dave Tosky have been responsible for fabricating multiple Zodiac communications? And one thing that Mike Rodelli pointed out was that the 74 letter and the 78 letter, um, or sorry, there, there are multiple letters in 74, such as the um, Exorcist letter, Count Marco letter being clear, more than one SLA letter. So if there is a link, why not just come forward? Why not just admit it? Say, oh yeah, we have forensic material that has been extracted from these two letters, and it shows that they were fabricated by Dave Tosky or Person X or whoever would have done it. Why not just say that? And the response that I got from Mike Rodelli was quite simple, that that would be embarrassing for a police department, so they're not going to do it. It would be very, very much in the category of losing face. They would look like um, rather silly, even though it's been 40-something years since the mailing of the 1978 letter, they still would not want to tarnish the reputation of the police department. And he is definitely in the camp that they don't have any solid DNA from the letters in 1969 and 70, simply because the Zodiac had very little contact with the envelopes which were used to mail them. But also an interesting thing that was pointed out, um, in my discussion with Rodelli is that notion of the side palm print, also known as writer's palm. Because, as I understand it, a big reason why Arthur Lee Allen was discredited as a suspect was not only the DNA, but also the side palm print. Not talking about a flat palm print, but when the side of your hand is touching the paper, police investigators did not look for that in the early 1970s. That was not um, one of their forensic tools that they used. 
but they were able to extract writer's palm, side palm prints, from the 1974 Exorcist letter. And what Rodelli was uh, proposing is, is there any possibility that the Exorcist letter could not be authentic? Could that also have been a fabrication by Dave Toskey? Because you think about it, you have the 1971 letters, right? Then there's the gap in Zodiac activity. The Zodiac did not write any confirmed pieces of material in 1972 and 1973. There may have been some type of copycats and some scraps of paper written in where someone is writing something like, I'm the Zodiac, I'm coming to get you, that were simply discarded. So we, um, always a chance, right? But is it possible that someone wanted to write a letter to bring about a resurgence in Zodiac activity and that was not authentic, and that um, the Zodiac really ceased activities when in terms of writing as far back as 1971. Again, sharing something during my discussion with Mike Rodelli. But I think that what is um, more fascinating about that is proposing that from 1969 to 1971, the Zodiac may have written some of his letters while wearing gloves, and that would be one reason why they cannot extract a very solid uh, side palm print or writer's palm from any of those letters. It's really only the 1974 Exorcist letter, to my understanding. And there are a few reasons for this, because, I mean, we aren't completely sure, but one of the letters was determined to have been a forgery in 1974 by the examiner Alan Keel. And according to Mike Rodelli, the only letter that Keel ever truly commented on was the exorcist letter. Therefore, it seems that the exorcist letter should be the one that was deemed to be not authentic and not a forgery. And there's this whole belief that there's going to be some type of link between the letter from 74 and the letter from 78, and that a profile could be compiled. Or there's some type of forensic material that would reveal the letter writer in that case. But Mike Rodelli also talked about some of the reasons why law enforcement does not want to come forward with all of their findings. If you look at the uh, concept of going public saying they have the Zodiac's DNA, Arthur Lee Allen didn't match, Shel Cavalli didn't match, Curtis didn't match, then that puts out a certain image to the general public that, wait a second, they have the killer's DNA. So all of these people who are going to be making up wild, silly stories are going to be a lot more hesitant about submitting their findings because some people are about halfway believing their theories. For example, if they say, oh yeah, we don't have any solid DNA on the Zodiac Killer, then Joe Schmo and Tina Mama Mia can just make up some wild story about, oh yeah, you know, I just remember there was this guy who lived on the street with me, and he wore dark rimmed glasses, and I think I heard him humming the Mikado songs one time, therefore he's the Zodiac, and I have a, sub a suspect that I would like to propose. And they start banging on the door and saying, please take me seriously, I have a suspect, and I'm trying to solve the Zodiac killer mystery. You could definitely, definitely scale down on those types of um, requests or those types of... Um, behaviors from people if you were to falsely admit that you have the Zodiac's DNA or falsely admit that you have a credible sample of the Zodiac's DNA because people would be 
much more hesitant, or you definitely wouldn't get any solid fraudsters, because then they would just be submitting DNA that they knew was false. I mean, depends on how b brazen and brash they are. Some people wouldn't care. They're just going to ride the car off the cliff and just see where it lands. They just do not mind at all. But it really is quite confusing. And I think Microdelli is of the opinion that law enforcement is not to be trusted, and they do not necessarily hold a widely held and very, um, very strong set of consistency. But what would be some benefits to going public on the 2002 show and saying, hey, we have the Zodiac Killer's DNA, and these three suspects have been compared and tested, and they have been eliminated? Bear in mind that Arthur Lee Allen had already passed away in 1992. This is 10 years after the death of Arthur Lee Allen. But what would be a benefit of that? You could bait the killer into doing something new. Oh, so you think that uh, I was one of those three? No way, not at all. And writing in some type of letter, or doing anything at all. Getting the, the real killer to make a type of move, so then he, the Zodiac, would make himself more vulnerable, and they, meaning law enforcement, could respond in some type of calculated way to try and capture this serial killer. And, you know, 2002, it seems like a lifetime away from the Zodiac murders, but really that's only about 33 years from the murders that took place in 1969. And as I said from the beginning, who really knows how many crimes the Zodiac killer actually committed. But in terms of um, Microdelli's suspect, Shel Cavale, he's definitely standing by his um, theory and his statement that Cavale was indeed the Zodiac. But interestingly, I began to ask him some questions about the individual crimes that were committed, such as the Lake Kerman Road murders, the Blue Rock Springs shooting, and the Lake Berryessa stabbing. And Rodelli pointed out that it is quite possible that the person that you see in the Lake Berryessa foyer sketch, the one who is um, with the dark hair, <coughs> and he has more of a rectangular face, or, I mean, if that is the best word, the Lake Berryessa voyeur, that that person could have been the Zodiac, but also could have been an active participant and we talked for a while about exploring the concept of a partnership, because Mike Rodelli was of the belief that the Lake Berryessa stabbing is very different. And I talked about some of the reasons earlier, about how it's committed by knife, the perpetrator's wearing a hood, the victims are tied up. But what Rodelli said was that there's handwriting that was left on the victim's car door on Brian Hartnell's Carmen Ghia, the Zodiac wrote a message. And that handwriting looks extraordinarily similar to the Zodiac's letters. And we're more or less just entertaining the possibility of a partnership about how there could be two people involved. And this was actually the first time that I've ever heard this, but the Zodiac frequently quotes the Mikado, right? Like, I mean, if the exorcist letter is authentic, that says Titwillow, Titwillow, Titwillow. That's a reference to the Mikado, and it's also about he plunged into the billowy wave and the suicide's grave is from the Mikado. The Little List letter heavily takes things from Gilbert and Sullivan's The Mikado. In the world of musical theater, there is often someone who writes 
the words, like the text, the lyrics, and then there's somebody who writes the music. Sometimes there are actually three people, like if there's a play that has a lot of speaking lines, then that's called the book. The music is called just that, the uh, music, and then you have, you'll see things like words and music, text and music. Multiple people are working on a single project. So how about Gilbert and Sullivan? One person writing the music and one person writing the text. One person committing the murders and another person writing the letters. And is it possible at all that the person who was doing the majority of the letter writing committed one crime, that being the Lake Berryessa stabbing? I mean, I don't know. It definitely would explain all of the differences and all of the reasons why. And it would go back to um, an observation that I made back in 2019 when I was truly trying to first compose my own original Zodiac theory. I thought of that exact same thing. I was like, this makes no sense at all. You have a serial killer who's operating from 1968 to 69. The confirmed Zodiac crimes happened in a, in a time span of less than 12 months. I mean, it's less than one year. And sometimes there is a man and a woman present, but with the Stein murder, there is not. Most of the times the victims are shot, except at Lake Berryessa. They are not. What on earth is going on? And I was like, this has to be multiple people. That's what I thought in the past. And um, I always said, though, it does. I shouldn't have said this has to be multiple people, I take that back. I said that it could have been multiple people, but there's always the possibility that one person just chose to commit crimes differently. But um, if you look at that as a partnership, that would explain why there are similarities and differences at the same time. Now, who would have done that? I don't even want to begin to comment on that. Why would this um, partnership have organized this? I mean, I can comment on that part because... A lot of people have brought this idea forward, and I don't even remember the first person to say this, but they thought the Zodiac was recreating the um, Mikado, or that they thought the Zodiac was trying to turn himself into some type of real-life theatrical character, like a real-life operetta character. And the four crime scenes that are in the Zodiac's world Lake Herman Road, Blue Rock Springs, Lake Berryessa, and the Stein murder are like four acts of a play. And firstly, there's the Zodiac um, sneaking up on teenagers and then young adults. Then there is this big costume change with Lake Berryessa and having a conversation with the victims. And then with the Stein murder on um, October 11th of 1969, the Zodiac makes a dramatic exit, walks away into the night, and is never seen or heard from again. That we know of, that we know of. I mean, the Zodiac would write in lots of letters, but in terms of actually committing a crime, we do not have any confirmed evidence that the Zodiac killed anyone after that. All speculation, possibilities, and theories. Something else about how this could be operating like some type of theatrical creation relates to the, the um, Zodiac's exact actions. And maybe theatrical isn't the best word, but how about influential? Because I had the opportunity to talk to Mike Rodelli as well about some possible inspirations from Jack the Ripper 
and hear what he thought about. And he talked about the cutting of an apron is quite similar to cutting Paul Stein's shirt and mailing it in is what he, I even brought up about how that could be the same thing as cutting out the kidney of a victim and mailing it in to prove that he committed the crime. Jack the Ripper did that in the From Hell letter and the kidney belonged to Catherine Eddowes. The Zodiac did that with Paul Stein and the piece of his shirt belonged... Well, I mean, the piece of the shirt belonged to Paul Stein. And the uh, Zodiac's first letter was mailed after the second crime. Jack the Ripper's first letter was mailed after the second crime. After the third uh, night of the Ripper activity, a message is written on at the uh, one of the buildings nearby the murder of Catherine Eddowes at Lake Berryessa. There aren't a lot of buildings around the murder site, so a message was written on the car door. And there are just all of these similarities between Jack the Ripper and the Zodiac. But um, Micro Deli talked to me that, that talked to me about how he is now researching the true crime case, the Monster of Florence, a serial killer who operated in Italy. And believe it or not, there is a Zodiac killer connection to that, where some person thinks that the Zo the Zodiac killer was also this serial killer in Italy called the Monster of Florence, who operated from roughly the mid-70s to the mid-80s. And that would mean that right after the mailing of the Exorcist letter, if that is authentic, then this person would have gone over to Italy and continued to uh, commit crimes. And I'll be exploring that in a future Zodiac Mondays episode. But the final comment that I would like to share with you is when I had the opportunity to ask Mike Rodelli about all of the differences in Zodiac crimes. I was asking a bunch of leading questions about this Jack the Ripper stuff, and we talked about some reasons why the Lake Berryessa stabbing could have been different. But why did the Zodiac murder Paul Stein on October 11th of 1969? <coughs> Excuse me. Before that, the Zodiac has gone after couples. Always a man and a woman present. But this time, there's a single male that has been targeted, and he is in a taxi. He is the taxi driver, and it's done in Presidio Heights. Microdelli's suspect, Shel Cavale, lived relatively close by. He lived in that neighborhood. And Rodelli has theorized that it's because of the geographic layout of Washington and Cherry, as well as Washington and Maple. He was scouting out an area in which he thought was very difficult for people to see because the street lamps wouldn't even pour light into the street very well. Dark, somewhat secluded for a city street, and it would have been an opportune place to commit a crime, and then the perpetrator could sneak away and head back to his home. So, I mean, what do you think about all of that? And I guess the biggest challenge question that I would ask you guys is mostly pertaining to uh, the partnership theory. Do you think that that's a reason why the Lake Berryessa stabbing is so different because it was a different person? I mean, it could have been an active participant. You have a team of guys working together, especially in the concept of one person is writing the letters and one person is committing the murders and that the letter writer was responsible for the Lake Berryessa stabbing. And 
I guess um, some of the more important um, points that I would like to uh, discuss as opposed to theorizing is, how reliable do you think the DNA is? And if not DNA, if they don't have any credible answer about the Zodiac Killer's DNA, that would mean we have to find something different to evaluate. What would that be? We talked about the side palm print, also called writer's palm. But what about fingerprints? And I did have the opportunity to discuss this with Mike Rodelli, and I talked about how some suspects have mostly been eliminated by fingerprints. Ted Kaczynski, Xenophon Anthony, whom I was talking about last week. Some people are just like, hey, the fingerprints did not match. But with somebody uh, such as Shelkavale, I don't know if they were ever compared, to be honest. But are these reliable? There's a very famous story out there that they have the fingerprints of someone at the Stein taxi cab that have been imprinted in the blood, meaning that there's a fingerprint that is pressed in the blood. Someone would have had to have touched the cab after Paul Stein was already bleeding. And Mike Rodelli heavily disputes that. He's one of the first people I've heard who simply said that, no, there shouldn't have been any collected fingerprint that has been imprinted in the blood. It's really the first time that I've heard someone say that. Very clear, they were all latent prints. I guess I want to quote him more directly. I think that um, that's somewhat of a bold claim, but I will always accept the result whenever it comes out and we have a true understanding of the case. But I think there appears to be some type of consensus among people like Ray Grant and Mike Rodelli that they just don't have the Zodiac's DNA. And they shouldn't have the Zodiac's DNA because it's inappropriate to take DNA off of the outer edge of a stamp if it's not um, completely certain. They're not completely certain it came from the uh, killer. And it also could have been touched by postal workers. It could have been contaminated. And even if some way, somehow, um, it was exposed to somebody else, it could be around all other types of methods of obtaining somebody else's DNA on the letter. So I guess um, that's it in a nutshell, that the DNA evidence is not reliable, and there are some reasons for that. But um, please weigh in in the comment section down below. Share anything that you like. Respond to any of the points in this episode. I would love to read your messages. And as I said, if you make a contribution to the show, you will get a shout-out here on Zodiac Mondays. I thank Mike Rodelli for talking to me. I thank Ray Grant for writing out material for this show, and all the people whom I've discussed. And don't forget, also tell me what you think about Dr. Derek Price as a Zodiac Killer suspect. A lot of things in this episode, and you can respond any way you so choose. Please put your ideas down in the comments section down below. Anybody can write the show at blackboxonlineradio at AOL.com. You can also get me on Facebook. My personal Facebook is in the description box. And there is always blackboxnid88 on Instagram. And I will see you over there for the bonus podcast. Until next time.